You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey guys, Aaron Broverman here just to tell you about our sponsor, Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula is our original sponsor. They're the OG sponsor. They were here in the very beginning when we were just a fledgling comic book show done out of some guy's bedroom. But they have some amazing product for you. Just go down to their store at 3456 Young Street and you can get your role-playing games. You can get your comic books, of course. You can get your tabletop games. They have everything. We got Pokemon cards. We've got Star Wars miniatures. They just have everything that you could possibly want. Plus, Leon, their owner, is an amazing dude. He uh, He's very honest and uh, he'll get you everything you need. And uh, they have an amazing new space there at 3456 Young Street. So you got to go down. You got to check out their merchandise. Sometimes they have weekly live role-playing games, some Magic the Gathering stuff. They're doing championships all the time. You've probably seen a lot of their stuff on our social media because we try to promote them any way we can because without them we wouldn't be able to put this podcast together for you so please if you're local to Toronto and even if you're not look them up at www.harryt.com and uh, check them out at 3456 Young Street and tell them Aaron sent you You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. Uh, We're on Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com. Uh, follow us on social media at Speech Bubble Pod. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and uh, go to rate and review us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. If you review our show and you uh, DM me on social media at Speech Bubble Pod, I will send you a comic from my personal collection. It's a random comic, but sometimes I ask the people who are reviewing us for their interests. So maybe I'll tailor it uh, a little bit. Anyway, do that. Rate and review our show so other people find us. Uh, Today on the show, we have sort of a Toronto legend of underground comics. Uh, You may know him from his Cabbage Town series, where he chronicles... Uh, some of the people that uh, live in his neighborhood, some tall tales, those sorts of things. Uh, He's best known probably for his graphic novel, Xanta, A Living Legend, which uh, basically gets to the bottom of Xanta, this character that uh, went around Toronto, uh, you know, bulked up, no shirt, had the Santa hat on, doing push-ups, and kind of getting in people's faces a little bit. You might remember him. Uh, in the 2000s, like about from like 2001 to 2007-ish. Well, Jason did a whole thing on Xanta. Uh, He's also done some comics, The Rebel of Downtown Toronto, where he does these little profiles of uh, 
homeless people or people that he's encountered in his uh, walks around Toronto. Uh, he did an amazing book called Drawing, Thinking of You Dancing with his wife, Mari Gregg. And it's basically just her dancing and he's uh, drawing her. It's basically like a, like a form study, I would call it. Please welcome Jason Kiefer. It's so nice to have you in. Thanks for having me. Um, Jason, I've, I knew about your comics before I knew about you. And I think I knew about the Xanta one first. Because I was like, you know, you'd see it on the shelf and you'd be like, Xanta! Yeah. I remember Xanta, you know? And that's sort of how uh, I got to know some of your work. But before you, you started doing comics of your own, um, how, did you, how did you get into them? Hmm. Well, uh, I would have uh, been reading like newspaper comics, um, not so much comic book comics when I was a kid. Um, also, uh, Mad Magazine. Oh, would I have love been Mad a, a comic that I was into early on. Uh, other than that, uh, not. Not much. Did you always, uh, were you always in Toronto? Uh, yeah, I'm from Toronto. I was raised here. Okay, interesting. So I can definitely see the Mad Magazine influence a little bit in some of the work that you do because, it, you know, the way that you jump from like tail to tail and, mm -hmm. you know, there's sort of, there's some gags in there and that sort of thing. So where do you, how did you go from being a fan of newspaper strips to wanting to make your own comics what uh, what got you into that uh well around the end of high school uh, i had a teacher who taught a creative writing class and she introduced me to a bunch of the underground stuff um, from there i went to the harry tarantula picked up a bunch of stuff started reading it got into it uh, you know chester stuff chester brown Seth. That's awesome. So when you were getting into uh, the underground stuff, is that like Robert Crumb and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I would have found that at the time. I think the my teacher, uh, her name was Helen Porter, uh, that taught this creative writing class. She showed us the Crumb movie okay. uh, documentary, and uh, I found that to be pretty interesting. That was that, that sort of opened up the whole yeah world of comics to me, and like had the realization there that, okay, this is like, this medium can be more than just something that's okay. And that was like the Alan Zweigel, I think is his name, movie, like where... T Terry Zweigoff. Terry Zweigoff, yeah, yeah, sorry, I mispronounced it. Yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, that, like, it was sort of a documentary, right? Yeah, called mm -hmm. Crumb. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was a legendary movie when well, I've definitely seen it, and then... Uh, the same director, I think, went on to direct Ghost World and some other uh, some other comic related movies. Okay, so that's yeah. cool. It's right. awesome. So, I've heard that you you sell your comics out of a baby carriage. Is that is that true? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Where did you hear that? Somebody <laughs> told me that like. If if I wanted to buy Cabbage Town, all I would have to do is like go to your neighborhood and I'd see you around with like a baby carriage, uh, you know, selling your comics out of a baby carriage. 
I've never done that. No? No. I haven't even tried to sell them on the street, though I've been tempted to, right. but I can't, you know, get the guts to do it. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. So so that person... Like an empty baby wrong. carriage? Yeah. <laughs> it's like pretty creepy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Something I heard. I don't know what, it, what happened, man, but it would definitely get some attention. Yeah. You should try it or something. I don't yeah. know. Um, so anyway, but... When your first comic that you did was that the Rebel of Toronto comic? No, um, that w- well, that was my first kind of novel length bound book okay. deal. Before that, I did a series called Downtown Toronto. Okay, uh, also a self published thing, and that went on for I think it was ten issues or something like that. Uh, was, yeah, so similar kind of content, autobiographical, street stories, that sort of thing. What compels you to, to do comics on your own? On my own? Yeah, like, it's not the money. So. No, um, self-expression and, uh, yeah, I have the drive to do it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say why I want to do it. I think about it. From time to time, uh, I enjoy it. Parts of it, anyway. It's a lot of hard work. It is satisfying to finish a story. I like telling stories. Maybe that's what it boils down to. Were you always an artist? Did, did you always want to tell your stories in a comic medium? Uh, I painted quite a bit and drew early on, but... Uh, no, the comic storytelling uh, thing didn't come along until later for me. Yeah, until my teens, late teens. Yeah, eighteen. I would did say. you come to it on your own, or did somebody suggest it? Um, sort of on my own, but like, yeah, m- uh, mostly the influence of this this one teacher of mine. Okay, who so yeah. showed you the crumb documentary? Yeah, and I at that time I was writing um, short stories. Uh, I enjoyed doing that, and uh, but when comics came along, they seemed like a better fit. Cool. Yeah. A lot of your subject matter has to do with, like you said, street and like downtown Toronto. What compels you about the city and that sort of street life? Those sort of characters that you that you tackle. Maybe the chaos of it all. And uh, this is what I've grown up in, and um, so it's sort of in my blood. <laughs> um, and uh, I think part of it is trying to work it out, trying to make sense of certain things. And um, yeah, like when you like when you encounter somebody, you're like they would make a great subject for a comic. No, I don't consciously um, approach things like that. Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, experiences happen, and I reflect on them, and then they get expressed as comics. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So. I guess the downtown that was your first that was your first book, and was it hard to to make a comic yourself, or did you just go like full bore into it? Like, what was sort of your mentality going into your first comic? 
The Rabble book? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that was a tough one to do because it was the first uh, uh, long-form project that I mm-hmm. uh, took on. So from just from that point of view, it being a 80-page book, trying to maintain consistency over the project, that was a challenge. Um, and sitting and thinking and reflecting about the different people that uh, are around me, uh, working through my memories and trying to get that all down on paper. Where did you find some of the people that are in the book? Because <laughs> I know that, like, it's a, it's basically a bunch of profiles on a bunch of homeless people that you've encountered, or not homeless people okay. necessarily. They're, I would consider them to be street people street or people. street characters. Okay. Uh, I actually did a count, and uh, you know how many of the people in the book are homeless versus not. Oh, okay. It's, it's uh, less. Okay. I can't remember how many but right i uh yeah less than 50 percent and uh so that's kind of interesting but people do assume that yeah, it's a book about homeless people right though yeah a lot of them have homes and so, i'm in the book and i have a home yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's like an artist there's like an artist page right yeah mm-hmm. uh yeah so how did you did you just get encounter these people walking around or are they a pastiche of certain, like, did you did you take some qualities from a bunch of different people and sort of amalgamate them? Yeah, or? some of the profiles are composites. Uh, uh, some are sort of even sort of fictional in a way, mostly fictional. And others are completely uh, real as, as a caricature or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, the 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 information in there, yeah, you know, would have come from all my experiences over. I, I forget how old I was when I did that book, but you know, more than twenty years of walking around the city, and then it all, sort of all spewed out in that form. Though I was doing stuff before that, like I said, and it, it, uh, short stories and uh, more kind of sympathetic kind of. Um, trails of people of kind of emotional stories a bit sappy i thought they were pretty bad i'm glad they're not out there <laughs> i i do think that your your portrayals of street people though are, are pretty sympathetic now like i think i think you you're sort of on their side yeah you know it's not it's not the typical portrayal of of uh, of street people that you see you know it seems like you you live among them you make friends with them you know they they are recurring characters in your stories mm-hmm. what is it about street people that attracts you uh they're just part of where i grew up and uh, pe- people like I, I i interact with whoever comes along and right. you know i i spend time in my neighborhood and if someone's a bit odd, I don't mind talking to them. Uh, I know others do mind talking to people like that, and they would shy away from interacting with them. Uh, but I don't. And I, I try and uh, take people one at a time. Does that come from your upbringing? 
like the idea that like you don't judge people that way you're you're comfortable talking to anyone yeah i think just being yeah maybe it was to, to do with the way i was raised and just yeah and just be, being in that environment you sort of have to have a uh uh more open i don't know you, you could go either way with it i guess you could choose to shut it out or uh choose to to be open to it and i, I like i like uh going that way so it. how how were you raised like what was your what was your childhood like what were your parents like uh well i've uh, was, we mostly lived uh in downtown toronto through my childhood uh my parents are great, and I have two younger brothers. Nice. Uh, yeah, we're a close family. Cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, are they also artistically inclined? or? Yeah, my parents uh, both uh, studied film uh, in university at York. And my father's a musician as well, so yeah, they're artistically inclined, and they always encouraged it, and me and also my grandparents uh, my grandparents are both artists that's cool on one side that's cool so when i was reading the rebel of toronto there was a bunch of people that i totally thought would be in there that weren't in there uh, uh there there's a dude who hangs out at young Dundas square i don't know if he's around anymore but he he was like a proselytizer is that the believe guy the believe guy yeah that's what I hear most often. Yeah. Is like, oh, well, why isn't the believe guy why in this the book? Why isn't the believe guy in this book? Yeah. So why isn't he? <laughs> I just, there wasn't enough there to do a whole profile about him. Okay. It wouldn't, I didn't know enough. I didn't, I, you know, and I wasn't going to go and interview him or something like that and be like, yeah, I'm going to put you in a book. And I could have done the the you know put him in put in the basics but it would have been yeah kind of a minimal sort of profile yeah so that's why he did he did come up and i cut him oh yeah okay <laughs> okay okay what about were you around when there was this dude in toronto that would hang out around osgood hall with a bunch of rats first it was rats he had a long coat he sort of looked like peter stormare no and he had a bunch of rats that would crawl on him and then at one point he switched from rats to ferrets. Really? So so like I saw this rat guy and then I kept seeing him and he would hang out right at the gate at Osgood Hall and then at some point they weren't rats, they were ferrets. I, hmm. I don't know what it was. But was that before your time or I I don't know if I ever saw him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was like where's that guy? But nobody remembers him. So I feel like I feel like maybe I dreamed it. <laughs> I don't know because nobody that I know at this point is like, is like, yeah, that guy. And, I, and he and it was such a crazy. It was like this dude in a long trench coat with like rats that would crawl on him and stuff. It's quite the image, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, sometimes he had a leash, but there'd be no dog at the end, and it would just be like a looped leash and then one time it was with, ferrets with a collar like a yeah like a collar at the end like an invisible dog sort of thing oh weird like, like so he was going for a look yeah it was a, it was an interesting look yeah yeah and then at some point you didn't see him anymore mm -hmm. i don't know what happened oh street uh, characters there was also the mayor the mayor is this guy who used to stand on a bucket uh outside of the queen 
east entrance of the Eden Center and like Queen. yell and talk about people and stuff. Like the mayor. They called him the mayor because, you know, he's he's doing like the town crier mm, thing, mm-hmm. you know, on a bucket. Yeah, I don't know if I no. ever yeah, yeah. it's not Weird, not in there for me, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, who are your favorite people that you've encountered? I don't know. I, I can't pick a favorite, really. I've, well, I guess I picked Xanta as a favorite, but he, you know, he was kind of begging to have a book written about him. It was, uh, you know, the right subject for a book like that, for a, for a biography. When did you first encounter him? Uh, so, yeah, it was whatever his peak was, kind of mid 2000s i can't remember the year i'd have to go back to the i did a strip to about my first meeting with xanta for tattle creek magazine and that was all kind of outlined in there and like yeah just my what my immediate reaction was to the guy and why i ended up uh doing a book about him and so tell us what 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 was your immediate reaction? It was sort of, uh, I was shocked, a bit afraid, like, whoa, this guy's jacked and, like, off the hook, and who knows what he's going to do. And and then, you know, yeah, I watched him for a little while and came to the conclusion that, no, that wasn't the case. He was, like, a busker kind of dude who wanted attention, and he was making a spectacle. Um yeah, so that got me interested. And when I heard the, the all the stuff about him being banned from downtown Toronto and the TTC, I, I became more interested uh, for political reasons. Political reasons? Yeah, just because that really... Uh, to That goes against... But, you know, banning a person from public goes against my political beliefs right public yeah. spaces yeah for everyone right type thing yeah okay so when i guess did you did you tell him you were going to do a book about him like well i asked what was him the genesis of the book uh I, I don't know if i called him up or flagged him down on the street or something i i think i must have done that that because i didn't get in touch with him through someone i'm pretty sure that i I can't remember now, but anyway, I ended up interviewing him at his apartment with my brother, and okay. and then I dramatized it as a street interview in the book. I feel like it'd be really tough to get his phone number, or did he just give it? He, did he just it, give it to you. I don't know. I can't remember. He had a phone and an apartment. You know, he was living somewhere in Etobicoke, and okay. yeah, we went and talked for a while. It was fun. He was relaxed and smoking and. He was dressed up in his Santa getup. No shirt. Like no shirt, on. shorts, boots, and a Santa hat. And, uh, yeah, that was his thing 364 days of the year. Did, except and on, on Christmas? Christmas, he wasn't he wasn't Santa on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so did, he, did, you, did you start the book after he was already banned from places? Yeah. 
Okay. So at this point, had he retired the character, or no? He was he was he was still out there performing, and uh, yeah. Okay. He hadn't done that official retire uh, yet. So yeah, at least for people active. who don't know, this dude would come up just on the street and randomly start doing push-ups, dressed as Santa, but with like Santa shorts, boots. A hat, no shirt, completely yoked, you know, like very fit dude, <laughs> and just start doing push-ups and be like, yes, 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 and, and making growling sounds and yeah, like just just a weird dude. And then you start seeing him on like Speaker's Corner and mm-hmm. in the background at like City TV Breakfast Television mm-hmm. and uh, just all over the place for a while it was like you couldn't go anywhere in toronto without seeing xanta but then suddenly you didn't see xanta anymore and uh why is that the authorities kind of clamped down on him more and more mm-hmm. for whatever reason and uh yeah he just it he got to the point where it was pretty much impossible for him to do it if he if he was wearing the the costume they would he would just get stopped by the cops immediately did kind of thing. Uh, it started with moses nimer and city tv right like that was the first thing that he got banned from right yeah that's right and it spread out from there that was sort of okay it was like you can't go around the city tv building because you're disrupting their shows or whatever and then that and the and then the radius expanded 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 out from that building so I, I read the book and I couldn't figure out why people had such a problem with Xanta. Like initially at the at City TV? Yeah, well in general. Like like now he can't go on the TTC. Now he can't go anywhere. Now a cop is taking him to uh, he says took him to like Niagara Falls and like put him in jail. Yeah. In there that was and pretty st- crazy. And crazy stuff. So like yeah. why was this particular guy the target like do you have any theories i think because he was so consistent and like everywhere all the time and relentless that he was the target whereas like other street characters kind of kind of move along or they're not they're not as um focused in their efforts as he was i started attention and yeah and and it's weird because First, public opinion was, like, really, like, go, Santa, whatever. Yeah. And then I started hearing things like, he's assaulting women, mm-hmm. he's in their face, like, right. Santa is, like, this, underneath this Santa thing, there's, like, a sinister, you know, sexual assaulting guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I started hearing weird stuff about Santa. Right. Uh, like, he would, like, be catcalling and... Yeah. Yeah, calling or like trying to spray women with water so that okay. you can see their, you know, their boobs and stuff and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, you know, from like the fountain at Dundas Young, you know, Young Dundas Square and stuff. So like all of a sudden you started hearing like these nasty things about Nanta. Mm-hmm. But then I read this book and I don't really know what to believe. Like what? What's yeah, your it's... impression of him? Is he? Is he telling? everything or well probably not okay um yeah it's hard to know right like i don't really know how he got banned i thought it was because he was actually doing like illegal stuff 
you know, like he was assaulting women or I don't think it was because of that. Because right. if you had a charge against you, that's pretty clear. Right. Kind of thing. And what what does that have to do with walking around and not being able to walk around the city or take? Yeah, take it doesn't make sense. Seems like that's kind of a separate thing. Yeah. So, uh, so, but it's anyway. weird that he would be so consistently a target. Like, like, did you ever get to the bottom of like why? Did you ever talk to like the cops or anyone? No, I didn't. Him? I didn't interview the police. Um, the research that I did was, I went off of, uh, you know, his interview, and then any, <laughs> um, any. Uh, uh, press, right? Okay. Uh, mostly newspaper stuff. And I'd heard that like Moses Neimer had some sort of beef with him. Like at some point, like they were okay with it, but then it turned mm. because because it was he was disrupting what they were doing, or they just decided that he was too much of a nuisance. Yeah, it seems like they were probably annoyed by the fact that he was in the background of all their TV shows. Mm-hmm. But then it became such a weird. Like, consorted effort of all these people at once mm-hmm. deciding to go against Xander. I don't think that's ever happened in the same in the same way before. It's strange, yeah. And it, you know, concerns me because it's, uh, well, where do you draw the line with that? So there's Xanta, but why not, you know, the next troublemaker? Because he's not the only one. And uh, what do you do with all the people who are kind of abrasive in the city? And there's a lot of them. Well, and it seems uh, like those people at least get to walk around. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. It's weird. It's weird, yeah. I don't know. Like, and then, and then I'm like, okay, if, if his life is getting so difficult because he literally can't walk outside in the costume without somebody stopping him and hauling him off to jail or, you know, making a court appearance or whatever, mm-hmm. why doesn't he just stop? Did you ever ask him that? Well, he did. He but did at eventually. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he liked doing it yeah. for whatever reasons. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's why he didn't stop. He enjoyed it. He really seemed to like putting on a show but even when your life is like really difficult mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know it seemed to go against like rationality <laughs> yeah you know like yeah like you could solve the problem just by you know not wearing the costume suddenly you can go you can walk around yeah you know? and he would do that okay he would do that okay but then he'd break out the costume and and then, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, be it. Yeah. The so would follow. <laughs> what are your? What are your? Like, uh, there's a lot of theories around Zanta. He's mentally ill. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> who is Zanta? What is your impression of him? Is he? Is he like a rational dude? Does he? Does he have some mental illness stuff, or what's? What's his deal from somebody who's you know got to know him closely? Well, you know, the time I spent with him was a few hours, and through that time, he 
you know, nothing, nothing happened along the way that was uh, alarming or anything to me. It was a pretty normal conversation or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I, it, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to say sometimes it seems like this is a controlled effort that he wants to be doing. Other times it seems like it's, uh, a symptom of something else. He did have that work accident and he hit his head and, but I mean, that aside, you know, Xanta wants to be Xanta. And right. The, uh, yeah, the theory goes, like, if you haven't heard the theory, it's like he was painting a ceiling, he fell from a significant distance, and and that sort of created a chemical imbalance. Yeah, he, like, all, he was in a coma for a long time, almost died. And, yeah. And then but, when he came back, the Xanta thing started happening. Yeah. So, and and in in your book it says it's because he was inspired by his daughter and like his. his there's a bunch of different mm-hmm. stories, right? Yeah. So the first one I think is the one about his. He was inspired by his daughter and her love of Christmas, or something. Yeah, and the, I guess his girlfriend left with his daughter, and he was doing this as a uh, something to get her back. Right. Okay. And that then, was part of the story. Yeah. And then there was another explanation where he thought that he was like the reincarnated aspect of a naughty reindeer, or that's where he got the name. Well, from? that that story was like a sort of a fairy tale that he came up with. Okay. As like a, you know, something that he could turn into like a product. Right. You know, the, okay. story, the origin story of Xanta. Right, that he could like sell. A fantasy thing that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, Santa on a shelf kind of yeah, story. kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, okay, I got it. Awesome. And then the other thing, it got kind of weird. Like, first <laughs> it was like a rational conversation with Santa, and you were like interviewing him about his stuff, mm-hmm. and like he gets banned, and you feel really sorry for him. And then, then it became like, I'm going to build a castle and have a moat and I'm going to make millions of dollars off of this Xanta thing Mm -hmm. and I'm going to live in a tower and I'm going to have subjects who every time a horn blasts, we're going to all do push-ups at once in the middle of the town square in Toronto. Like like you wanted to build a town. Yeah, it got a little wild, right? Yeah, I think that's someone just, uh, you know, imagining what they could have if they had that fame. Did he really? Th- did he really think that Xanta was going to get him there? I would think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, I don't view it as being different than some teenager thinking they're going to be a rock star, right? Mm-hmm. But he was actually. So I, yeah, I don't think it's like crazy to want that, right? Right, or but, whatever. But did he actually think that he was going to get it? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and maybe it, in another world he would have. Yeah, we're in he, a different place. Yeah, because exactly. you know Toronto's a bit uptight. It, it is a bit uptight. <laughs> he he exposed their uptightness for sure. Um, what about the parade? Like, what did you think about? He wanted like twelve women to like 
uh, I guess, uh, shuttle him around on like a chariot. Yeah, like reindeer. Like a, yeah, can you describe this for me? Like, what what is it? Yeah, it was. It would be a a Santa parade, like the Santa Claus parade. Right. But he would lead the parade because Santa is in the front of the parade, not the back, not in the back of the parade. Right, and there'd be this, and, these women. Yeah, they would be pulling this um, sled or whatever it was, and then or chariot, and. Uh, uh, they'd be, I think it was like 12 or 13 of them, topless, wearing like skirts and Santa hats. and Yeah. So it got kind of weird. Like he got a little off the rails. Like right. when he's telling you these stories, were you like, okay, we've sort of, we've sort of hit a, a precipice here. We've sort of turned a corner. Well... I didn't have any comment for him on that, saying that he shouldn't do that or shouldn't want to do that. Um, yeah, you could say it's out there or whatever, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, not something I would do. But <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, so that's, it made me wonder because it's like, <laughs> Some points he's super rational, and other points he kind of like you see the mental yeah, illness. You, you aspect. could call it like delusional, right? Um, or you could say that he's got high hopes, and he's uh, you know at that time, at least early on, when it, the thing had potential, um, maybe within the realm of possibility. Yeah, maybe he could got a good, could have got a show. Yeah, I mean, there's people like if I don't know, there's tons of shit on TV. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> it's like, yeah. So, so then he kind of left though, right? Because he just couldn't do the character anymore. Mm-hmm. Decided to shut it down after it just got. Yeah, I don't know exactly. You know, yeah, all the things that would have happened, but. Have you maintained contact with him at all? Here and there, yeah. So he's still around? He's around, yeah, but I haven't spoken with him recently. Is he back in Toronto or is he still... Because he was living in Brampton at one point. Yeah, I think he's in Etobicoke. Okay. People keep spotting him around. So, The legend continues. The legend continues. Yeah. I've never seen him, but apparently he's coming back or... Okay. Oh, so you've never seen him? I've seen. I saw him Did at the see... height of his oh, okay, popularity. Okay. Okay. But not recently. But I haven't seen him recently. Okay. Yeah. Like from about 2008 on, I haven't actually seen Xanthony. I mean, anymore. some of those videos on YouTube were great from like the peak time of what he was doing. It was just yeah, hilarious. Some hilarious stuff. Right. But then he Re got like stamped out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you think do you think we're still there like do you think if the next xanta comes oh, it's worse now react the same way it's worse now explain i'll just yeah people have less and less tolerance right for behavior that does not fit a mold or uh isn't behavior that they would engage in i was sort of interested a lot by the testimonials Mm -hmm. because you had people go, well, this is a consequence of living in a city. If we want to live in a city and it has to run a certain way, 
there can't be Xantas running around. Okay. And then you had other people who were like, no, I want Santa running around. He, like, breaks up the monotony and, and that kind of kind of thing. Yeah, those are all opinions that would have come across at some point. I think uh, a lot of it from just online discussions right. and reading. Oh, a bit of talking with people about what they thought about him, but mostly reading what people thought. And, yeah, it's very mixed. And there, there were a lot of people who were all for it. And okay with it. Yeah, it, it sort of seems to be the dividing line. The city is... You, what is the city? Is it... Is it uh, do we allow all kinds of people or do we cut some of them out? Right. And it seems very selective. Because mm-hmm. it seems like they all went after Xanta when there was a whole bunch of other people that they could have gone after that they, they didn't have a coordinated effort against. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to he was just so visible and consistent that he he uh, became a target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So after that book, like, what's your what's your impression of Xanta? What do you how do you feel about the whole Xanta phenomenon? Yeah, it's a sad story. I mean, I yeah. That that book has an arc that just kind of slides down doesn't <laughs> it's not a happy ending and uh yeah, it would have been nice if uh, people could have maybe worked with him better i'm not saying that like he should have been able to do whatever he wanted to or you know uh necessarily but uh yeah, I would have liked to see people work with him more rather than just bring down the hammer. Do you wish he was still doing it to his thing? Yeah, I wouldn't mind it if he was around. That's my opinion on it. I know there was a lot of people who are happy that he's gone and uh, don't want him around that are, you know, had a bad experience with him or whatever. And But I have bad experiences with people on a daily basis where I live. Mm-hmm. It's no walk in the park. <laughs> so, tell, so yeah, tell me about your neighborhood. Tell me about Cabbage Town, because it seems like it's pretty colorful. Yeah, it's a it's a very mixed neighborhood. It's uh, uh, in terms of um, uh, age, race, and. Um, and the amount of people, uh, the amount of money people have, you know, there's a there's a wide spectrum, and they all seem to. In Cabbage Town, it all sort of comes together. It's a nexus point. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting place to live for that. Is reason. that why you made it, like the subject of of your comics that you're working on now? The Cabbage Town series. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's part of it. And that's then, where I live and where I grew up, and so yeah. Like you can literally walk out your door, and there's a comic. Basically, there's a comic. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's, it's it's always interesting. There's always something going on. It's a buzzing neighborhood. Uh, yeah, I really like it. it's a little, you know, it's a cute little stretch that has everything on it that you need to get by: grocery store, drugstore, liquor store. 
post office. So it's like a little town unto itself. Um, and Toronto's like that. It's got, it's a city of neighborhoods or whatever. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, I like that my neighborhood is mixed and it's not just a bunch of cool young people. When I go over to the west side, I have to say I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the West End, I guess, you know, it's because it's like young and hip, and there's like a certain <laughs> mentality that Cabbage Town just doesn't have. Yeah, there's a lot of older people in Cabbage Town, a beaten down people. I people kinda... that live life, but in a good <laughs> yeah, way. Like yeah. people that live life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just more mixed. That's what it is. But yeah. part of why I more like of a it, reflection but... of actual society. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about Ursula, because she shows up in your comics quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you meet her? Uh, person around that I've uh, just run into. She's a character, and uh, she makes me laugh and. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, did a few strips about her. I can't remember in that, in the Cabbage Town book, which issue is she in? She's in... She's in, like, the first one and the second one, I think. The first one and the second one? Yeah, that's where I saw her. Just the second one? Yeah, I'm just looking at her right now. Oh, yeah, definitely in the second one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's always panhandling and asking people for a dollar. Like, there was this one, I think in the second one, where you asked her what she did for Easter, and she said that there was, like, a big street party or something. Yeah, and she had fun at the street party. Was there a street party? Yeah, there's street parties in the... uh, There's uh, Cabbage Town, there's the Business Improvement Association, and they put on different events. The main one being the Cabbage Town Festival, which happens every fall. Uh, I think it's the weekend after Labor Day weekend. And they shut down the street for that, which is great. So from Carlton, oh, actually, no, from Wellesley all the way down to Girard, it's blocked off. And they they, they stopped running streetcar service along uh, College through that section, through Carlton and Girard. And, uh, yeah, it's like a big a big street party. But cool. they also do, like, a spring thing, and then there, now there's, like, a... Uh, thing over uh, Christmas, like uh, sleigh rides and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. fun. One of the other focuses of Cabbage Town that I've noticed is royalty and the queen and whether or not the queen actually owns Canada or has is our leader for real. Right. And that sort of thing. Where does that come from? That was one. Yeah, so that was a strip I did in the first issue. And um, in each issue, I've been doing a strip about a subject with the maybe sort of political with an alternate take on it. And uh, yeah, in the first issue of Cabbage Town, I did a strip about the monarchy and uh, just kind of examined it from a different point of view the general thing you hear is oh yeah the monarchy has no power it's 
old news. Just a figurehead. It's a figurehead, whatever that means. And <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but then, you know, when you look at some of the laws and that sort of thing, you see how uh, uh, prominent that institution still is. Yeah, they're kind of ingrained. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I was just pointing a number of those things out in that strip. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, it gets labeled as like conspiracy theory kind of thing. Are these your like personal beliefs or is it just sort of, I want to, I want to draw attention to this topic for this comic? Yeah, I just open up a discussion on it and just, uh, yeah, looking at it from a different point of view, my, yeah, my beliefs are always changing and, uh, yeah, part of, part of the reason for doing those kinds of strips is it, 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 uh, gives me a chance to sit down and dig down, think about the subject and, uh, yeah, on my own without any kind of outside influence. So tell me about Old Coyote. Where does that uh, come from? Uh, Coyote's a Native American trickster character. Right. Uh, so he's part of an oral tradition. And uh, I came across a collection of stories years back and the collection was American Indian myths and legends I started reading it and was pretty blown away by the content uh, in the book uh, so these were stories I had heard coyote stories before, but not these kinds of stories. Uh, there's, there were a lot of dark stories, uh, uh, dark humor, uh, stories dealing with sex, and I've, I felt like a lot of them read like underground comics. Right. So I started drawing them. Yeah, because, like, that's where you can sort of exercise sort of the naughtier aspects, the more risque aspects. Do you ever get in trouble for putting that sort of stuff in in your comic? Like sex-based sex yeah. content? Yeah, yeah or, that or, kind of stuff, yeah. Nah, no, no, no one seems to mind. No one seems to mind. I mean, it's not, they're not super graphic. They're, like, somewhat slightly pornographic, I guess, but... Uh, well, the illusions are there, but I guess your style isn't so explicit. Yeah, you know it's mean? pretty cartoony, so yeah. it, it kind of takes the edge off it a bit, maybe. Yeah. Um, only kind of showing what I need to uh, uh, to to communicate uh, to ensure that the the story from its written form translates over to the comic as accurately as I can make it happen. Right. Um, so I use, yeah, what I need to to get that done. 
Is an old coyote? Does he is he going to continue throughout the Cabbage Town series going forward? Uh, yeah, at least for the time being. Um, both. Uh, so there's two uh, trickster Native American trickster characters. One's coyote. Well, two main ones, uh, coyote, and the other one is uh, Iktomi. He's a spider, and uh, there are stories that feature both of them as characters which are great and uh so i've i've been uh, also drawing stories with iktomi in them um and again yeah uh, a lot of them are sexual or kind of uh uh bleak stories there's some bleak stories in there too and it's just because you connect with them on the level that you connect with underground comics yeah yeah they're just really good stories yeah i i like them a lot and and i want to um relay them to a different audience that wouldn't really know that they exist yeah that's cool i mean i don't know if (coughs) i don't know if you always know like that they were like legends like from before I mean, you can get it on that level if you're familiar with that, but other people might think that this is like a character of your own invention. Well, at the beginning of each story, I say what the source of the story is, and um, I'm also, um, in the bibliography, I'm listing the uh, publication that I'm working from. So... What about like your technique for drawing? Is this was this something self-taught? You just started picking up a pen and like I want to do comics, so I'm gonna start doing them. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Okay. And um, I took a few art courses in university, but uh, didn't really learn much there. Most of it was just most of my learning was just doing it and uh, life drawing. Mm-hmm. life drawing is uh, a big help uh, um and then yeah trying to copy some drawings that i liked uh keeping a sketchbook for a while and 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 trying to improve in that way and yeah just learning from what came before like i think most cartoonists do do you go to kegan mcleod's life drawing classes those seem to be very popular in the city no i didn't know about those yeah apparently there's life drawing classes that he holds all, every week some of my friends in the in the scene go to them nice and uh, uh in fact like the life drawing stuff really brought to mind your uh your drawing you dancing mm-hmm. comic that was very life drawing style yeah that was yeah mm-hmm. it felt like an exercise in that kind of way and that so that was that's the dance book uh, drawing thing could be dancing mm-hmm. and uh yeah that was uh I worked from a video uh, that Mari shot for that and uh, basically broke it down to a bunch of stills and then took those stills and arranged them on pages in certain sequences to try and convey the flow of the dance, like take kind of the essential turning points in the the dance uh, to move it along. And then I, yeah, and then I drew from those photos and uh yeah it was good because uh a, a good thing to do because i was forced to draw things that i would usually avoid like difficult anatomical 
positions to draw. Um, and so, so I, I improved a lot doing that book. It sort of started as an exercise and then became a published thing? Or were yeah. you always planning on publishing it? Um, well, we were pl- yeah, we were planning on publishing it. That We wanted to do a project together and um, didn't know how it would go, really. But that's that was uh, how it ended up. Yeah, so part of the project was... Uh, Mari uh, performing the dance. So it was, it was basically an improvisation that she w- worked on for a little while, built it up. I took that video, drew the comic, and then we had a launch where she uh, performed the original dance, a dance based on the comic, and then an ideal kind of version of the dance. Nice. So, yeah, and everyone at the launch got a book. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, great. Yeah. Happy Is she a professional went. dancer? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. And you guys are married, right? That's right. Yeah. So drawing your wife, does that t- take on a different connotation just because of the relationship that you have? Yeah. I don't know. At the time she was my girlfriend, uh, Oh, it's it's fine. I I enjoy it, and she she likes it, so it's it's all good all around. Cool. Not really different than drawing a friend or something like that. Right. Cool. So you just you're just like I want to. You were influenced by underground comics initially, and then you were just like I want to. I want to be that. I want to do. I want to do that, and that's just what you've been what you've been doing. Mm-hmm. Are you like, and you sell your books at what, like conventions or? Yeah, conventions and uh, uh, bookstores around Toronto, beguiling and uh, selling a Harry Tarantula for a long time and also uh, Silver Snail. Is it tough to like put together, you know, a decent amount of money for your comics? Uh,. Not really. Just uh, yeah, there's a cost to it and printing costs and that sort of thing. But it's, it's all doable. I mean, drawing's a pretty low cost activity. Right. Just paper and ink and brushes. So what what keeps you doing it? I enjoy telling stories, making jokes. being a bit of an entertainer and a bit of a shit disturber. Uh, I really enjoy writing and this is a good way to express for me to express, uh, yeah, my writing. Yeah. And it's easier for you to convey stuff like visually Mm -hmm. than to just write a book. Now it is now that I can draw, but, uh, yeah, uh, it is, I prefer it. Mm-hmm. To, I prefer showing things rather than describing them in writing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah, I like writing dialogue and that whole process is a lot of fun. Cool. What's 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 next for you? Like you you seem to have some ongoing themes, you know, the street people like we mentioned, mm-hmm. the you know, the monarchy sort of a thing is is part of a thing. 
um, you know, Cabbage Town and, and the old Coyote stories and that sort of thing. Are you just going to continue with that with Cabbage Town? Or are you planning another, you know, big, like, nonfiction uh, project? or Not happening? right now. I'm planning on going forward with the Cabbage Town format for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so continuing on with the Coyote stories and getting to the point where I have enough done that they can be published as a full-length book so i'll collect those at some point right and um, how many issues do you think i don't know uh at least with the, those stories the coyote stories another 100 pages or so of stuff that i want to draw so it's going to take some time chipping away at it and i've yeah i've been enjoying doing the street strips in the Cabbage Town issues, so I'll keep doing those. I, that format, the format's been working for me. And in issue four, I'm going to be doing a strip about 9/11. Oh, why? Uh, doing kind of a breakdown of some of the strange uh, aspects of the the event of like the physically from a physical point of view. So like some of the conspiratorial stuff that people have been yeah. floating around. Yeah. And be that kind of stuff. Are you, are you a fan of conspiracy theories? Like, do you believe in them? Like what's your relationship with that sort of thing? Um, I'm, I'm open to ideas that don't, that aren't the the mainstream. Right. So yeah, some of the things I believe would fall into those categories. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't really view them like that, but um, yeah. There's just, you know, there's some stuff about 9-11 that I got to get off my chest, basically. So right. once I do that, then I'll be, I'll be uh, done for a little while on those sorts of subjects. Um, do you ever get trouble for that kind of stuff? No. Mostly people just kind of think, oh, that's weird. and Yeah. Do you think the fact that it's in a comic context makes it a little more palatable? I think so. I hope so. That's the idea, anyway. Try and uh, communicate some of these things uh, in cartoon form and make them a bit fun. Right. Because uh, who wants to read a paper about that? Yeah, um, yeah. Not me, even. Totally. So. And you, can, I guess you can get away with more. Like even when you talk about like the street people profiles in uh in rabble, the rabble of downtown toronto mm-hmm. it seems like you can get away with more because you can say like this isn't a real person it's just a collection of people it it's gives you well there's a yeah there's distance right that with drawing it creates a certain amount of distance that you don't get with something like a photography right very different to go up to someone on the street and take a picture of them and to remember them and do a drawing yeah. based on your memory do you find working in fiction is easier than something like a research project, like a Xanta, or you know, when you're focusing on like real people? 
Um, no, I haven't really. Do you mean like the? Just like I've done like the. Because I would call Xanta something like comic journalism. Yeah. Whereas. Or biography. Ca- <laughs> or yeah. Sorry, Cabbage Town is like more traditionally, uh, you know, like an anthology collection of fictional stories. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, what? I mean, I would think that the comic journalism part would be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, in one way. Yeah, because it's just the research factor and and pulling yeah pulling all that information together and making sure everything's in order. You have to be a lot more thorough than say if I just do a one-off page about an experience I had on the street. It's not really something I have to fact check or whatever. I think you really excel at it though. Like I think you. I think there's a niche of doing stories about, you know, people that people always wanted to wonder about but never mm. quite knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we need somebody who's a comic artist who's, like, digging into that kind of thing, I feel like. Like, you could be, like, the Joe Sacco of Toronto. The Joe Sacco of Toronto, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Is, are there any plans to do any more of that stuff, or...? Just, uh, yeah, I mean, ideas come to me here and there for that, right. um, but nothing in the immediate future. Cool. Um, but yeah, it could happen, probably will. Nice. Yeah. All right, so where can people uh, follow you if they want to buy your comics and stuff? Uh, you can buy comics on my website, jasonkeeper.com. I'm, I also started a Patreon page, and uh, so I'm posting a strip on there every week. Um, so that's, uh, patreon.com slash cabbage town. Nice. So, yeah. And Jason Kiefer is spelt, uh, Kiefer is spelled K I E F F E R. That's right. Awesome. So check him out. Jason Kiefer. Great to have you in. Are you on social media at all? Or is it just, no, I'm not just on the website. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming in. I hope you uh, you enjoyed yourself. I liked getting deep on the whole Xanta thing. I think we we all learned something here. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been good. All right, and we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is hosted by me, Aaron Broverman, and features audio editing from Armin Zoberi. It has announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward, with graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.